Lord, what uh, an incredible privilege, the opportunity to be your children, to be a child of God, that you would take us and love us and adopt us as your children, that you'd prepare a place for us, God, to dwell with you always. Lord, we're so grateful for that. And we come now just to hear from your words, words of encouragement, words of truth that reinforce these facts, this amazing, amazing grace that you extend to us. And so, God, we come with hunger and anticipation to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm. So as uh, Pastor Ron mentioned, we're in a series that we are calling Why We Do That. And we're asking good questions and clarifying who we are. And uh, this is a great series. If you're just curious about faith, maybe you've come today, you just have some questions. You want to check out what is faith about? Why do people show up at church and do what they do? It's also a great series if uh, you're asking questions, you just want to develop your faith and grow in your relationship with Jesus. And today we're going to talk about spiritual growth. You know, why, why would we want to grow? You know, is it helpful? Is it important? Well, it is important, you know, and it's also very natural though. You know, alive things grow, right? You know, like uh, take for instance, uh, a tree. So a tree starts out, you know, as a, as a little nut that cracks open and then it begins as this tender little shoot and then it begins to grow and develop a trunk and extend out branches as it sinks its roots into nourishing soil. And then a tree grows stronger, right, as, as it has to resist wind and weather and adversity. And a mature oak develops over time where it's strong and stable. And it provides shelter and it produces other nuts. And so honestly, if you want to be like a strong, mature oak tree in your faith, all you have to do is just be a little nut that never gives up. <laughs> it's true that things that are alive grow. And so we kind of start with this question. Are you alive spiritually? I mean, you're alive physically. Most of you. <laughs> Some of you are still a little sleepy, right? You're not quite convinced that you're out there. But are you spiritually alive? You know, I think most people would answer that question and say, yes, or I think so, or maybe. <laughs> Well, it helps us to know that we enter this world lacking spiritual life. See, it's true that our heart from the beginning is disconnected from the life of God and we're separated from him spiritually. You know, we recognize this physically that we're separated from God, but it's also true of us spiritually. Instead of being connected to and drawing life from the life of God in a union, we are separated by our selfishness, our self-directed and rebellion towards our creator. We're in a self-imposed state of spiritual death. That's what's called sin. That's what sin is. It's this state of insubordination and rebellion and defiance toward God. 
You see, we violate God's character. We undermine his standards. We usurp his authority. We reject God's authority over us. And instead, what we want to do is run our own life. We want to be our own God. And in doing this, what we need to understand is that we declare ourselves opposed to God, enemies even to God, and we put ourselves in a position of opposition and under God's judgment. We fall right in line behind God's enemy. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 in the Bible, it says this. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. That's the bad news. I mean, it's really bad news. (laughs) But there's really good news significantly good news. And that's this. You see, the fact, despite the fact that God hates, loathes sin because sin is like a parasite that seeks to kill, suck life, destroy life. Despite that, God loves you. He really does. I mean, he's crazy about you. And he'll go to unimaginable lengths to help take care and cure you of your sin and to draw you into a personal, meaningful, intimate relationship with him. God wants to make you spiritually alive. And he does that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Going on in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6 says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? That that God is merciful and loving toward you even though you don't deserve it. And you know that you don't. You know, as his enemy, rebellious, hell-bent on pushing him out of your life, he chose to send his son, his only son, Jesus, to die in your place, to die for your sin, in order to adopt you into his family. God offers you life through Jesus Christ. So why Jesus? I mean, what's so special and unique about Jesus. Why does he claim to be the only way to God? It's because Jesus Christ is God. He's God the Son. And Jesus took his divinity and he united it with humanity, God in flesh. And being connected to the life of God, he was the only one that could ever live a perfect life as a human being before a holy God. The life that God designed and intended us to live. The only one. He lived the life that we could never live. And then Jesus died the death that we could never ever die. You see, sin requires a cost. The cost of sin is death. 
And God, you have to understand that God is pure love, but he's also a pure and righteous and holy judge. He can't judge unfairly. And when it comes to sin, God has to judge sin. It's the right thing to do. And he knows that under the penalty of sin, we are under a law of condemnation. And the only way that God saw that he could free us from sin was to have that sin paid for. And he chose to send his son to pay that penalty for you, to pay your debt that you owed to God. But see, Jesus Christ, as eternal God, beyond the ages of time, Jesus Christ, his death forever and always pays for and eliminates your sin and releases you from God's judgment. His death makes you blameless before God. And every wicked thought, every deed, every word, everything you've done in secret or in the light, all of it, Jesus took it all for you. And when you receive this gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, you receive his forgiveness and Jesus becomes your savior and he is your spiritual life. First John 5, 11 and 12 says this, and this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whomever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. When you receive Jesus Christ, you're adopted into him. <laughs> and God sees you in Christ. And so all of Christ's righteousness, his perfect love, his holiness, all of his attributes, all of it, God sees you in Christ. That is all yours. And the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, lives in you forever. You are his, he is yours and that's when spiritual life begins. This isn't a philosophy. It's not a religion. It's not even an example to follow. We're talking about a life-giving union and communion with God. And it's the most amazing gift that you could ever receive, that would ever be offered to you. And so why grow spiritually? Why wouldn't we want that? You see, spiritual growth is all about becoming closer to Jesus Christ. And that's what we want. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And so we're going to jump in and talk about this. How do I grow closer to Jesus? <laughs> and so if you look in your program, you're going to see there's message notes there. And it'll help you follow along with the message. You can take those out. And if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is one of the letters Paul wrote. It's toward the back of the Bible there. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about that. Most of the verses will be up here, and you can follow them on the screens. So this letter, Colossians, was written by the Apostle Paul to a city called Colossae. Does that make sense? You know, if you were writing to people in America, it would be, you know, writing to Americans. Colossae, Colossians, all right? And this was in ancient Turkey. Now, Paul was this guy, uh, gosh, he just hated Christians. He despised them, and he would do anything he could to stamp them out. He'd go from town to town and round them up and throw them in jail so that they could be killed. And then one day, Paul is on his way to go capture some Christians 
And Jesus stops him. The risen Christ stops Paul in his tracks and reveals himself to Paul. And Paul's life from that moment on was changed forever. And he spent the rest of his life proclaiming Jesus, freedom in Jesus, salvation in Jesus to anyone and everywhere he could all across the world, planting churches as he went. And so here, what Paul's doing is he's encouraging these young Christians to help understand and grow their relationship with Jesus. And here are his words in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul encourages us to live in him, in Jesus. And there's an important key that we want to unlock in this, and I want to present it in our first point here. And the first point is this. I grow closer as I embrace my identity in Jesus. My identity in Jesus. You know, um, if you catch a caterpillar, right? <laughs> if you catch a caterpillar... And you make a really nice home for it. You get a jar, you stick some rocks, some you know, dirt, grass, throw it all in there. The caterpillar, it's going to still spend all its time trying to get out of the jar. And you see, our souls are like that. Because we were made in God's image, and our souls long, constantly search for our true identity. Searching for who we are and where we belong. And I read something this week from a blog uh, that I follow by Gil, Bill Galtier. It's called Soul Shepherding. And he said this. He says, in Christ is your true identity. Your complete freedom to be who God has made you to be in Christ. That's the key to your life. The Apostle Paul implores us to live our lives in Christ Paul encourages us to be in Christ, in him or in the Lord, 160 times over and over again, in Christ, in Christ. And that's what our verse here in Colossians 2, 6, in the beginning, it says, so then as you've received Jesus as Lord, continue to live in, in him. Paul's describing a whole new life, a whole different life. You see, remember what Jesus saved us from in the first place was our disconnection and our independence from him. You know, and so salvation isn't about kind of praying a prayer and then going off and doing what we normally do. Salvation in Christ is so different. What it is, is that we're saved into a union to live with and in Jesus Christ. We share a common unity with God through Jesus. And Paul describes this in his letter to Corinthians. Uh, and he, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. This new life is Jesus in us, a spiritual life. A life in him that connects us to God and also, also, and we often forget this, connects us to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 reminds us, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. 
God calls Christians the body of Christ. Romans 12, 5 says even that we belong to each other and we are to live our lives in community with God and one another. And that's why one of the key marks here at Twin Cities Church is to be in a community group, to live in community where we love, care for, pray for, encourage, and grow together in Christ. You see, we're not united by just merely like church membership or friendship. We are fused together with a common bond, the Holy Spirit of Christ that lives within us and makes us one. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, for in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. And so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You know, maybe um, you've just doubted as to whether Jesus would want to even get close to you. (laughs) Think about this. Not only did Jesus die for you, but he offers you to bring you into his family, to put his spirit, unite his life with yours, to put his spirit into you and so that you'd never be without him. What does that say to you? Do you know who you are in Christ? 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that the person who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. Now we could make a whole message just about this one first point. It's so amazing. Mind-blowing. But we have to move on. But I really want you to think about, dream about, consider, what would your life look like, honestly, if you were to lean in deeply and understand your identity in Christ, what that really means, the significance of that. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that you would truly, deeply know that you are dearly loved, beyond a shadow of a doubt. You'd have greater confidence. You'd have greater peace knowing you are in Christ, that Christ is in you, that you are with him always. You'd be eager to share God's love and grace with others. You'd be Jesus to this world. Kind of sounds like God's plan, right? You know, if you really want to nail down your identity in Christ, I found a really neat resource that's helped me. It's a little devotional book called Who I Am in Christ, written by Neil Anderson. And I encourage you, get that little devotional and just soak in it each day. Soak in it like you're in a warm tub, you know, with all the essential oils that you like. And just soaking and meditating in all of it. It's going to revolutionize how you see yourself and also how you view God. And it will draw you closer to Jesus. All right, next point. I grow closer as I remain in vital union with Jesus. So one thing, uh, it's one thing to kind of know in our head that we're united with Christ. But it's another thing, how do we experience that in our day-to-day life? You know, it kind of feels like it would be much easier if we had a physical Jesus, you know, standing right for us, looking at us, you know, holding our hand, tapping us on the shoulder. (laughs) I mean, it just feels like that would be so much easier. But even greater than the physical, we put so much emphasis on the physical, God knows that the greatest point to connect with us is at the spiritual, at the heart level, because it's at the heart 
that guides who we are and what we do. And he knows the condition of our heart is so critical for how we follow him. And so it's vital that we keep our hearts connected and in union with Jesus. And so Paul, in our key verse, he says, So then, just as you've received Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, and then rooted and built up in him. I love how Paul kind of paints this picture for us, right? You know, uh, we talked about that tree earlier. He's painting this picture of like this tree with roots. If we could grow and sink our roots into Jesus, his heart bound to our heart, we draw strength and nourishment from him, build and grow our lives from the abundant love that he gives us. You see, we bring our heart and our life to the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, and we align our heart with his. We give control and influence to the spirit so we can unify our body and our mind and our soul with his. He put his spirit in us to be with us so we can have victory and power and live the Christian life he's called us to in him, with him. The Holy Spirit is Christ's presence. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. It says this in Acts 1.8. He loves and comforts us. John 15, 26. He warns and convicts us of sin. John 16, 8 to 15. The Holy Spirit prays for us and prays with us. Romans 8, 26. He gives us abilities empowered by God. 1 Corinthians 12. And the Holy Spirit teaches and instructs us through God's word. John 14, 26. The key to staying united with Jesus is to yield to, live by, and be filled up with and walk in the Holy Spirit. It's in this life-giving connection that we experience victory over sin and selfishness. And I love how this verse affirms this truth. Galatians 5, 16 tells us, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You ever notice that we do, we have this tendency to want to lead our own life, <laughs> go our own way, not let God mess it up, afraid of what he might do. You know, we're kind of bent toward independence. In fact, we kind of think of maturity itself as this process of growing more independent, right? Because we're born as a tiny baby, you know, <laughs> and we're totally dependent upon our mom or caregiver, totally dependent, entirely dependent. And we see this maturing process is this process of, of becoming more independent from our caregiver. Growing up is a growing away. But with God, what's interesting is he flips this all on its head. And what God wants for us is for us to grow from being independent and separated to growing more intimate, close, and dependent upon him. To rely on him, to walk with him, to be nurtured and grown by him. It's kind of like the Benjamin Button effect ever seen that movie the holy spirit wants to lead and guide us to deeper intimacy and connection with jesus and through the holy spirit we can talk with enjoy and sense god's presence with us in every moment of every single day and it's through a deeper surrender that we're led to a greater connection 
which leads us to deeper and more fulfilling intimacy with Jesus. So I want to encourage you to do this. Then when you pray, pray with a deeper sense of surrender. You know, learn to depend on the spirit that God's giving you, the Holy Spirit, to lead you in your prayers. Ask for guidance. Listen for direction. And instead of having kind of this one-way dictation of the things that you need, why don't you experiment with a conversation? And when you talk to God, take time to listen. You know, maybe God has something he wants to say to you. And there are many examples in the Bible of people who had conversations with God and talked to God. And we're told that these are people who are just like us. You know, maybe God put his spirit in us not just to commune with us, but to communicate with us. And one of the primary ways that God loves to speak and talk to us is through his word. You want to develop a, a conversational relationship with God, I want to suggest something I've been reading lately. It's a book called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And I've just, it's just so enriched my life. Um, and help me to know God better. But getting back again, how God speaks through his word. And that's our next point. I grow closer as his word strengthens my faith. I grow closer as his word strengthens my faith. I mean, think how amazing it is. How incredible it is that we have this treasure that we have a record of God's thoughts, his words, the whole history of God's interrelations with mankind since the very beginning. The Bible is an incomprehensible treasure, and God uses his word to strengthen our faith and grow our relationship with him. So again, back to our key passage. So then as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in, with him, and then in, in the end of seven, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. One of the key and primary ways that we root and connect our lives to Jesus and strengthen our faith is through God's word. You see, the Bible, God's word, is powerful and living truth that transforms us. You know, many people just kind of view the Bible like another book or like a newspaper where we read it for information. But the Bible is unique in that it contains the very words of God. It reflects his perfect character. It proclaims his perfect truth. And it establishes our faith. Romans 10, 17 says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the words of Christ. God's word connects our heart with God's voice his life, his living word. And when we expose ourselves to God's word, we meet with God. And God's truth, it impacts our mind. It, it, it fills, it corrects, it sharpens, it restores our thinking, you see. And when our thinking is restored and God's truth is in our mind, that, that influences our emotions, you see. And that draws us closer and to know Jesus more, to love him more. And then that results in igniting our will. It's where we choose to trust God and express this trust through thoughts and actions that honor God. 
You see, truth leads to faith. Faith leads to trust. Trust leads to action. Kind of sounds like Yoda. (laughs) This is a powerful and life-changing process. And Paul gives us an example of this when he writes to one of his apprentices, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, it says this. Timothy, you've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture, God's word, the Bible, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word brings us into the presence of God where it's exposed to light, to truth, perfect truth. And perfect truth exposes the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. There's nothing. Nothing exposes our heart, lays it open like the living word of God. And so you see our delight in it, our distrust of it, our confusion by it, our disinterest in it, all of these are like a sacred x-ray that reveal our true condition before God. And the Holy Spirit uses his word to encourage and lead us, but also to draw attention to areas of our life that are out of alignment with him that need to be corrected. And this is where our heart comes in. Because when our heart is soft and tender toward God, then we are eager to align our heart with God and to take whatever actions to correct our thoughts and behaviors so they're in line with him again. But when our heart is hard, we resent, we ignore, we avoid, we excuse away God's word, we reject it. A hard heart, you see, comes from pride, (laughs) sin, arrogance. The Bible warns us, be careful of your heart because our heart is the source of our life. And we need to guard and protect our hearts and not expose it to things that would harden it. From message around us that reject God's ways. We have to resist the call of our selfish human nature that calls us to serve ourselves rather than God. Watch over your heart. You see, a hard heart leads to a hard life. I think we underestimate, right? Don't we? We underestimate how much we need to hear from God so that he can anchor us in his truth. He can light our path, lead us in the right direction. He can pull us out of the mud. He can clean us up. He can fill us with his love so that we can begin to treat others like he does with love and respect and dignity. We need God's word to comfort us, to love us, and remind us of who we are and whose we are. We need a word from God. We need God's word. And so when you pick up God's word, prepare to meet with him. Prepare to hear his eternal voice. 
Don't forget that the Holy Spirit is there to teach you and communicate with you. 1 Corinthians 2.10 tells us the Holy Spirit helps you understand the word. 1 John 2.20 tells us that the Spirit reveals truth to us. And so as you approach God's word and open it, think of the privilege that it is. Ask the Holy Spirit to be with you, to reveal things to you, to help you understand. Dialogue with the Holy Spirit as you read the word. Maybe even read it aloud. Talk to him. Ask questions. Listen. And then allow the Holy Spirit to speak and reveal his truth to your soul. Hunger. Hunger deeply for God's word. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3 says, like newborn babies, <laughs> you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow into a full expression of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've found a taste of the Lord's kindness. You know, you might be here today and you're just unfamiliar with the Bible. You don't even know where to start. I want to encourage you, grab a Bible. We provide them. They're out there in the lobby. Pick one up and just start to read it. You probably aren't going to understand it in the beginning, but I encourage you to ask God to help you understand what you're reading. Choose something in the New Testament that talks about Jesus because the God's word and God's spirit will help you and reveal Jesus to you. God's word draws us closer to Jesus. Next point. I go closer to Jesus as I express, and last point, as I express grace and gratitude. Grace and gratitude. When we immerse ourselves in God's presence, where we know him deeply and walk with him intimately, then our life kind of becomes aromatic. You know, there's like this grace that emanates from our life. And when we drink so deeply from God's grace, it just naturally spills out onto others. And our heart becomes so full with gratitude and with thankfulness. And so wrapping up our, our passage, it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and then the last part of seven, and overflowing with thankfulness. It's kind of an interesting verse. You know, we all kind of deal with stress and fear. And I love this verse in Philippians because it helps tie and show how thankfulness can actually build our faith. Philippians 4, 6. Listen to this. It says, now don't worry about anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he says it. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And I think the key is here in the last part. You see, we pray, talk to God, pour out what's what we're concerned about, worried about, fearful over. And then it says, thank God. Thank him. Because when we thank him, I think we remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done for us. All these characteristics that he's loving, he's kind, he's powerful, he's big enough. He cares about us. He's concerned about the situation that we're facing. All the things that he's come through us before, our heart begins to draw nearer, closer. Our faith grows to believe that he's for us and with us. And then in verse seven, it says, then you will experience God's peace. What it seeds anything we can understand, 
His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Gratitude builds our faith, connecting us to Jesus. And we have so much to be thankful for. And expressing thanks, it's so good for our soul. You know, it blesses God, but it also blesses us. It fills us with his presence, draws us near to Jesus. Colossians 3, 15 to 17 says this. Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Underline that. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonister one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, underline that, in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word, whether in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks, underline that, to God the Father through him. Can you see in this passage how Paul's heart is so full here? It's full of love, full of gratitude, full of thankfulness. He's expressing a spirit of worship. He's deeply connected to Jesus. He's living the abundant life that Jesus promised and that Jesus Christ offers to you, that he longs to share with you. His arms are open wide for you to draw near to him as you establish your identity in him, as you connect your life to his spirit, as you grow roots into his word and fill your soul with thankfulness. Let's pray. Oh, we're grateful. We're grateful just to be reminded of what you've done for us. Lord, I believe that you want to talk to the hearts of those that came searching for you and you want to affirm that you're there for them and that through your word you revealed your love. And let them know, God, that all they need to do is just respond and say, yes, Lord, I want that gift. I recognize I'm apart from you. I recognize I've been looking for you and you've revealed yourself to me. Give me that gift of forgiveness. Come into my life. Make me new. I want to live a life with you, not apart from you, not opposed to you. I want to live a life with you. And God, for those of us who have longed for a long time to know more about what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to know you intimately, God, I pray your special blessing on us today that we could experience this in a whole new level, God, that we would not realize that, we realize that we're not alone and that we could commune with you. Your Spirit lives with us. God, teach us to walk with you. And we're so grateful and so thankful. If you know this, sing this with me. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet.